welcome to What Is My Podcast About? This is a Fortnite podcast where we sit down and discuss a topic to find out what our podcast is about. To clarify, when I say a Fortnite podcast, I mean we release it fortnightly, not a podcast about the game Fortnite. The one word existed long before the game. Alright, so, uh, my name is Peter, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Grace. Hello. And Keith Ramsey. Hey. Alright, so, how you guys doing this week? Pretty good. Still stuck at home, not being able to do much. Kind of sucks. Yeah, that's fair. At least one of us is getting out of the house and getting into a house, I guess? Now, before, um, before we get into that, I do need to do a quick aside, and I know I'm stepping off the cannon right off the bat here, but when you said hello at the beginning of this podcast, I immediately went to Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. Hello! Hello! I, I can work that into my character. I can be Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, that just reminds me of Sybil from Faulty Towers. <laughs> this will work. When I get kicked off of the podcast for something awful I've said... And we decide to diversify by, or you guys decide to diversify by hiring a female to balance out all the terrible things I've said. I'll just Mrs. Dopefire my way back onto the podcast. True. We've seen him in a dress before. You can pull it off. I have worn a dress and a wig to multiple Halloween parties. Yep. I'm. I remember those pictures. Oh, God, we're going to have to release those pictures on our Instagram, aren't we? All right. So, uh. <laughs> we don't have to. Just do it for Halloween. Uh, do you, either of you guys have anything going on in your life that you'd like to talk about? No. Nope. Uh, as you alluded to earlier, I'm just uh, working on painting in a house. Painting in a house. That's absolutely fascinating. It is. How long does it take for paint to dry? Watch and find out. Actually, funny enough, I know exactly. It's one hour. You also get humidity anyway. Keith is also finding out the best way to add feng shui to his home. That joke only makes sense if you understand that the paint color he's using is called feng shui. <laughs> uh, uh, aside from that, the only other thing I've been really doing is following the Resident Evil 3 Kickstarter for the board game. Uh, as of recording this, it's its last uh, three days, but as the time this goes up, it will have been closed for uh, about four days. So, Unfortunately, you uh, might have missed your chance to join it, but... Maybe they're still selling stuff. Yeah, you can probably still buy the game after the Kickstarter closes, just not immediately after the Kickstarter closes. Yeah. I've been uh, re-watching Scrubs in my downtime. I am, yeah, uh, actually. Because you need a way to kill the time with the quarantine blues. Have and you been doing it with the podcast? Yes, I've been doing it with uh, Fake Doctor's Real Friends. It is... Probably the best way to watch the show is ha hearing Donald Faison and Zach Braff. Zach Braff, thank you. Oh my god, uh, talk about recording the show. It's super cool. Now I have to ask you: Are, are you listening to the podcast and then watching the episode, or doing it reversed? Reversed, watching the episode then listening to the podcast. How about you? I I'm doing it where I listen to the podcast first and then do it, so I can catch the stuff in case I've been missing it. Probably a good way to go about doing it. Yeah, because a good example of this was uh, when they were talking about the first uh, episode of Scrubs, about how it was a rundown hospital, and you could see in the background that like tiles were missing in the ceiling. Uh, I only caught that because I listened to the podcast first, and saw like, oh, there's actually a shitload of ceiling tiles just missing in all these shots. 
Yeah, I might actually swap it up going forward and start listening to the podcast before watching the episode just to have that slight bit of foreknowledge going into the episode. It holds up surprisingly well. Like, there are some iffy moments, like, in one of the mid to late seasons when uh, Turk and Carla have a son, they make not even, like, a joke, but just a throwaway statement about how a baby fixes everything in a relationship, and it's just like, I don't know if you can actually say that, but all right. I think that was a joke. It was Scrubs. Come on. Yeah, that's that's fair. Oh, shall we uh, get into the meat of the podcast as it is? Yes, please. I'm dying to get this over with. Wow. I didn't realize you disliked recording podcasts with us. That We've must been recording for over a year, Matt, and you're already tired of it. No, it's this episode in particular. My brain is fried from binging the three seasons of this. I suppose it also should be noted that we are definitely recording this on Mother's Day, which means there's an extra reason to not want to take the recording super long, because it's just keeping us from celebrating the day. Which I suppose Matthew is the one who cares the most about right now, because he still lives with his mother, if I remember correctly. Or have you moved out? I'm stuck in here right now. Yeah, that's fair, because the whole pandemic thing, so... You actually have the ability to celebrate Mother's Day with your mother. Yes. Unlike me and Keith. So, our podcast is about... Jurassic Park! What what did you say, Matt? Eastworld. Eastworld. That doesn't sound right. To be fair, Jurassic Park also doesn't sound right. Keith, do you remember what our topic is? I'm a little bit confused. I'm not surprised. It was Westworld. Westworld, that's uh, right. I thought it was I thought it was Weast at first. Podcast cancelled. Uh this has been fun. Uh happy Mother's Day. Alright, but in all seriousness, season three just finished airing and uh before we get into the meat of it or anything, what did you guys think of the show as a whole and the third season in particular? I can go first if it makes it a little bit easier. I was a big fan of the show as a whole. I found season three to be a very different show from the first two seasons, but equally enjoyable. Yeah, definitely season three. It's good, but not for the same reasons that season one and two were good. It actually shows that the world that they built within those first two seasons can stand on its own and has other types of stories in a sense. Not to bring it back to Star Wars, which I we just spent... Uh, two hours talking about last uh, episode, but they did exactly what we've been talking about, how, what Star Wars should do, which is they built a compelling universe and then wrote another story in that same universe, rather than just trying to retell the same story over and over again. Except I'd hazard to say that they told the same story again, just in a different setting. Yeah, this story is very much mirroring season one uh, with uh, the character of Caleb, in a sense, of him waking up in the same way that Dolores does in the season one. Yes, but it's different in the sense that they're not using the same beats to tell the same story. They go about it in a different method. At least I would argue they go about it in a different method. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of it was, like... uh, right from the beginning this time. There's someone who's well inside and aware of what's going on, whereas before the only people at the beginning of season one, the only people who were aware of what's going on were the people who were running the park. Yeah, because as we uh, end up learning in this season, there's the robot Rehoboram, which is 
kind of like a super AI. And it, in a sense, is plotted out humanity and how things should be going. And that kind of, in a way, uh, mimics Lee's character uh, in season one of him writing all the scenarios and stories uh, dictating the world. Yeah, so instead of a single human writing the story of all the robots, it's a single AI writing the story of all of humanity. So it very closely mirrors season one. We also get a lot... So as you already mentioned, we have... uh, Caleb, who kind of represents Dolores in that it's his story of waking up and realizing that his life is dictated by someone else and he never really had a chance, and then learning how to kind of break free of that dictation. And the season, surprise, surprise, ends with him forcibly freeing everyone else from the control and seeing how the chips fall as a result. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic with the character of Caleb, too. Uh, Dolores, where they both kind of come to the same answer, but treat it differently as well, where it seems Caleb also arrives to the freedom is the option, not the violent revolt, as necessarily yes. needs to be, as Dolores went to. Because she even explains in the season that she was angry and wanted to hurt everybody, but then she learned, uh, mainly through the death of Teddy, where he ended up killing himself because uh, she controlled him too much uh, with reprogramming him, that people need to be free, not necessarily like tortured and all that, especially with all the information she gained from uh, the Forge, uh, and learning that humanity itself was kind of in the same deal. Yes. Although I'd hazard to say that by the end of the season, or by the end of season three, the only character that we follow who is actually free from everything is Caleb. Yeah, in a sense, he... Because as far as I'm concerned, throughout the entire series, the other quote-unquote main characters, Dolores and Maeve, they weren't... I wouldn't go so far as to say that they had free will, because all of their drives and motives were still aligned with essentially how they were programmed to act. Uh, I kind of... Uh, with Maeve we... specifically, I would say that's not exactly the truth because she was controlled, but she wasn't acting based on programming. She... Uh, her whole story was think... just because she herself did not actually actively have a child living through those experiences and those feelings. Does that make her not a mother in a sense? But she regained the memories of her past life and regained the memories of her having a child. Yeah. And she was also at that time programmed to... Uh, protect her child care for her child and so that's just what she reverted to for the entirety of the series breached the topic of Maeve I have many thoughts on her in season 3 because she was honestly one of my favorite characters in the first two seasons because she goes through a similar situation to uh, Dolores in that she's woken up and realizes that the world she lives in is a bit of a sham but she has a completely different reaction which instead of trying to free everyone and overthrow the humans her own goal is to fix the wrongs of her past and free herself and i've always found her to be a really compelling character and the power she gets and how she chooses to use them are all really fascinating to me i found her in season three to be such a letdown just given that like one of her key characteristics in the first two seasons was how she questioned everything she saw 
and thought about it and decided like critically what was the best move for her, not necessarily what was the thing someone else was asking her to do. And then season and yet, three, she just became so one-dimensional. Okay, I'm going to do this because I want to save my child. Yeah, it became all about saving her child, which is a reasonable motivation for a character to have, trying to save her child. I mean, but to be fair she... to Maeve on this point, too, uh, through the whole season, the understanding is that Dolores has the key to the forge or uh, the other world that has her daughter in it. And considering we've seen Dolores and Maeve has seen Dolores go on an insane murder spree, killing other hosts and humans, I would feel a little worried, too, knowing that she had the only key to access that area that my daughter was. That is fair, but she also just takes Sorok's word at face value, which is definitely questionable given that she witnesses Sorok murdering every other host. And she's like, yeah, I trust that he's just going to let me live in the world with the other hosts. Yeah, it's not going to have 180 from her character before when, and like, especially considering uh, when she first encounters Sorok, he immediately shows, oh, I have control over you right now. I can stop you doing whatever you want to do right now. Yeah, that was also part of why I thought she didn't try to fight him too often until the end, was she knew that anything she tried to do would have been completely useless. Yeah, that didn't stop her in Westworld, though. There were also several, several times when she was alone with Dolores, and you can argue she'd be worried about Sorok shutting her down remotely, but she didn't even, like, stop to question Dolores' motivations, she just assumed that Dolores was out to destroy both humanity and the hosts and create a world full of copies of herself, which the evidence was a little bit bad for Dolores, I'll be honest, but yeah. she didn't actually, like, listen when Dolores tried to explain herself. She's like, nope, I'm just going to kill you and do my kind because it's easier than listening and, like, figuring out what's really going on. I mean, uh, to be fair on that side is, too, uh, through the whole of season three, up until the last moment when Dolores, well, Prime Dolores died, I was like, okay, where's her flip? She's definitely, you know, been playing everyone along at this point. She wants to destroy everything. No, I fully uh, accepted that Dolores wasn't out to kind of destroy humanity, given that she, like, her reaction to Caleb and how she kind of went out of her way to save him early on. Like, yes, yeah, she had special information about him, and yes, yeah, she was absolutely manipulating him at least a little bit but i bought into it and fully accepted that she wasn't necessarily trying to save humanity but she also wasn't in it just to destroy humanity well i saw still both her two programmed personalities just warring with each other the entire time dolores who knows that there's bad in the world but always strives to see the good but then there's the wyatt personality also who was i guess programmed to be a villain be a villain, kill people in terms of, like, a, a higher power. I know the path ahead, and it's through violence and all that. Like, yeah, and the... that's all I could see in Dolores' actions, is just bouncing between those two pre-programmed, I guess, backstories for her. Yeah, because there's the Dolores who wants nothing but to see beauty in the world and to bring out that beauty. And there's Wyatt, who I'm almost certain was the actual originator of the line, these violent delights have violent ends. Yeah. Because it was always meant as a threat to humanity for the violence that they took out on others. Uh, now, uh, in regards to the Dolores thing, too, uh, a lot of things pointed towards her being evil and playing uh, Caleb to meet her ends. Is Bernard, or uh, I should say Bernard at this point, 
they had the even quote when they found out that Caleb was one of these uh, outliers that, well, she was programmed with a sense of, you know, irony and stuff like Quite that. Quite justice. So she would have a human that she pretty much brought to power destroy the world. Because all this, even the uh, predictions from Rehoboam were stating that after Rehoboam is defeated or turned off, it's just humanity goes extinct. Yes, and I can kind of see how that happens because in the story of the show, humanity keeps going to war and launching nukes on itself until Rehoboam comes into power. So I can see why they would believe that it would kind of lead to the end of humanity. But it does kind of raise that bigger question of, is it better to... It's the like classic argument of absolute security versus absolute freedom in that you can't have absolute freedom and absolute security. You have to make some sacrifices. And this is a world in which they've chosen to sacrifice freedom completely in order to have absolute security. And... It's that classic argument of, is that actually a good sacrifice to make? And the character is coming to realize that perhaps it's better to be free and risk death than it is to be safe, but never truly free. Yeah, and that's kind of what the core of the story of season three itself actually comes down to, is I find it's more of uh, chaos versus order, uh, as opposed to uh, good versus evil or anything like that. Yeah. Season one and two definitely felt like a lot more of that good versus evil fight, whereas season three felt a lot more of that argument of whether freedom is truly worth the sacrifices you have to make for it. Exactly, because season one it was uh, Dolores. Uh, the story was a bit broken up, but the story that it almost was telling was her with William running from this man in black, in a sense, is what she yes. was re realizing is reality. And then at the end she finds out, oh, it was actually two different timelines, and uh, they're both the same person. Whereas in season two, Dolores, who wakes up, it's like, I want revenge for all the bad stuff you guys put me through. So she goes on a killing spree, and she's the villain, ultimately, for that season. And yes. in this season, there's no real clear villains, per se. It's just everyone's trying to get to the same goal, but through different means. But to be fair, we don't actually find this out till we get to probably the last two to three episodes of the season that they actually have the same goal, just different means to it. Yes. I find it a little bit fascinating uh is the word i'm gonna choose to use uh how much uh, how do i phrase this suicide plays a major plot point in this show like <laughs> season one the like genesis of a lot of the problems happened when arnold essentially performed assisted suicide through dolores slash wyatt and then ends with uh, Ford doing the exact same thing and performing assisted suicide through Dolores slash Wyatt. Although that one's less suicide and more so choosing to free Dolores knowing that it will kill him. So I don't know, may maybe bonus points there. And then season two ends with, well, one of the major plot points of that is the fact that William's wife killed herself when she found out how evil William truly is. Yeah. Uh, and then William tries to kill himself and is stopped by Dolores. Uh, similar to how Teddy actually kills himself directly in front of Dolores. It's just, there's a whole lot of suicide driving the plot forward in the show. Like, even one of the Dolores clones commits suicide. Uh, which one? Oh, the Martin Dolores? The Martin Dolores, that one. Uh, kills okay. himself. 
Uh, I don't think that was suicide in the same sense that the other characters in the storyline did it. His was more of, I need to try to take these people out. Because there's been multiple times where Dolores has tried to, even at the risk to herself, take out Serac. Yep, and also he was, at the time, discovered and didn't want to be captured. Yeah, because if they get a copy of Dolores' mind, that could be dangerous for the whole mission. Well, there's also the point later on in the season when Dolores intentionally sets off an EMP, killing herself and uh, Maeve. Once again, not permanently because of the fact that their cores were transferred. But I'm pretty sure based on Dolores' actions, she fully intended it to be a permanent death for both of them. Well, uh, she even uh, says in the next episode when uh, she gets brought back in the body, she's like, oh, I didn't know if you were going to actually bring me back or not. So she, I think she understood there was a chance that it could be permanent, but I, I don't think she was expecting a 100% chance of it. Well, either way, it's another quite potential suicide driving the plot forward. I just find it fascinating how much this show keeps coming back to that well. And uh, on the side of uh, William as well, he even, like, plays with the idea a few times in previous seasons where, like, you know, he's like, oh, should I just off myself now? Well, also, there's the scene in this season where, while he's going through the AR therapy strapped to the chair, <laughs> one of my don't realize it, where he kills six different versions of himself yep. in fist-to-fist combat. Yeah, that's... I, I don't know if you consider that suicide, but I don't know what to call killing yourself six times. So, uh, there was one aspect of that moment that I absolutely hated, though. So which... like by the end of season uh, like one or two, we had a solid grasp on William's character. We knew pretty much everything about him. And then near the end of season three, they're like, oh yeah, this is also a huge character divining defining point that we're just going to tell you about him now well it's playing on the idea because uh with the character of william the one thing he keeps coming back to is he never had a choice and then we got ideas of like him having a poor upbringing and just he was corrupted by the world even though he's an innocent person and because people throughout the season keep saying well did you have a choice or did you have no choice are you you know the person in control that's making bad choices or are you the weak, useless person that can't do anything? So that was uh, the reveal of, like, oh, his father was actually a pretty good guy. He was the asshole, was kind of hammering and home I think that. reveal where he's and that sitting on head and shows that, no, he never had a choice. He was always like that. Like that since he was a child when the one kid called his father drunk, and so he broke his arm and shattered his jaw, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, knocked several of his teeth. Yeah, pretty fucked up. Uh, this might actually be a good point to shift gears, kind of, uh, just to how to address some things. Because as we've kind of been going character by character, so we should probably focus on the stories of each of these characters. Because Westworld previous has kind of been a jumbled mess of timelines, more so than characters specifically. But this season's all about really each character's journey. Because we have uh, Bernard we have Dolores, Caleb, Maeve, and William is kind of like our main focuses. And I guess we... I. Uh, Charlotte Hale, uh, Haloris, if you want to, <laughs> some people are saying. Yeah, Chaloris is the one I've been hearing. Also, before we start into that, since you brought up the fact that season one and two had a lot of jumping backwards and forwards in time, I also want to bring out another little complaint I had. All of the time skipping back and forth, I guess, led to the opportunity for the uh, film or, or the filmmakers or the people making the show 
to have, I guess, little lazy moments. Because there were several scenes that I noticed where, hey, one moment, this character's got bullet holes in them. And then the next moment in that same timeline, in that same scene, which would have been like five minutes later, oh no, there's no bullet holes anymore. There's just a little bit of blood on their clothes. Well, like, yeah, okay. that was due to the time scale. Like, a lot of people actually did manage online to call that there was going to be multiple timelines. Because there's a lot of things, if you notice, for example, whenever it's uh, scenes with young William, it's the old uh, Delos logo. Especially when oh, yeah. uh, they go down into the deep freeze, they go find the next computer, that logo pops up on a computer. And Bernard's like, oh yeah, this computer's like 50 years old or something like that. I'm saying that because of all this time skipping, they got a little bit of lazy in the continuity from like one moment where uh, Wyatt Dolores back in season two or something. They're at a fort, Dolores got shot in the shoulder, and then like two minutes later, in the same time, the bullet wound is gone. And uh, no, they've never gave the hosts rapid healing, so that was just kind of jarring. They don't have rapid healing, but there are devices in this world that there, do easily that, that, heal up the uh, Yeah, but at that time, there was no access to that whatsoever. I just noticed several instances of that throughout the series, <laughs> and various inconsistencies brought up. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the first two seasons to look out for that stuff. Because I definitely didn't notice any of that uh, going on. I also feel like at least some of it can be explained away by the fact that season two at the very least was largely told from Bernard's perspective. And like it did jump around to a couple other characters' perspectives. But it was largely told from Bernard's perspective. And like Bernard regularly explains how his memory is all fuzzy because he fucked and de-organized his memory so he has no idea what's going on when and he keeps asking if this is now or if this is another time yeah so i suppose it kind of makes sense that like some stuff logically wouldn't make sense because he has trouble keeping track of what happened when so if he's thinking back on it and he just got shot and then he jumps to a different point in his memory and comes back, he might only remember that his clothes were bloody. He might not remember that he's been shot in his memory. Yeah, because we do find out that, uh, as you were saying, where it's from Bernard's perspective, there are moments that are in that season that are specifically him recounting memories from the future, but shown as if they were in the past and put in tandem with those past scenes. Well, yes, we also get like further information on a lot of scenes from earlier seasons, like the fact that we see a lot of those uh, Arnold Dolores interviews which we only find out at the end of season one were actually Arnold and not Bernard. Some of them actually were Bernard and Dolores because it was Dolores interviewing the like copy of Arnold that she and Ford were making to recreate him. Yeah. Anyways, Matt, I know we kind of discussed this a little bit before the podcast, but you had said that you found the show a bit frustrating. Is that what you were talking about, the continuity errors, or was there anything else you found frustrating about the show? Well, I already kind of mentioned some of the points. It's like, I really enjoyed the first season, but then into the second season, in my mind, things just kind of started to spiral out of control. Because it was a huge and well-done reveal in season one that, oh, this is uh, multiple timelines. But then uh, in season two, it just goes off the deep end with that. And I kept pulling, or picking out these little continuity errors, just these little details. And also, it just started to feel like, 
hey, these characters, they're awake, or these hosts, they're awake, they're self-aware, but they're still following, I guess, the base programming of their past experiences, so they're oh, yeah. not actually experiencing free will, despite the fact that they think it. Well, that's well that was one of the things of it, right? I... That was one of the things I really liked about that season and where they kind of show that all these characters, even though they've been given free will, are still following their programming because it calls into question what is free will, which leads really well into the end of season two and the majority of season three, where we see the exact same thing happening with humans, where we find out that humans, what was it? They can, their brain can be copied in less than a thousand lines of code, according to the Logan clone at the forge. Yeah. And we end up finding out that largely human beings are just as easily programmed, or you can kind of show that all of their choices are made based on some very simple programming that they have inside them. And it raises into question whether or not humans actually have free will, given that all of their choices are based off of both genetics and previous experiences that have affected them. Exactly, because so, Season two has that very well. Season two onward has a really strong focus on the philosophy of a lot of things within this world as well. Uh, going back to the idea that the human code could be easily copied and be made, but then we also get that corresponded with the uh, flashbacks of William when he was trying to clone his father-in-law or essentially make a passable host copy of him. But every time he eventually found out that he was a, a host and would end up in a way destroying himself because the human mind could not take it essentially yeah but then, yeah also just as i started to watch season two and i realized oh there's these time skips and i realized that all the hosts were just following their programming still it's like everything just became obvious to me there weren't any more surprises i knew exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to happen well the one thing to remember truly is that really there's only two hosts that actually have full free will uh obviously dolores was the first one to break free well i guess three because uh bernardold is kind of a fusion of the bernard code and the memories of arnold except he didn't really have free will even in season three because he was still following dolores's plan throughout the entire thing well even but i think you could argue that that's closer to the human version of free will where she didn't like specifically program him to take out certain actions like, the difference between Bernard and Stubbs. Stubbs was very clearly just following set programming in him, and he didn't really have a choice in what he was doing. Bernard had a lot more choice, it's just Dolores set up the situation in such a way that she knew what choices he would make and accounted for them so that it would lead to the end she wanted it to lead to. Yeah, because uh, as of Season 3, Dolores has all the Forge information, which includes Arnold's information. So if Bernard is Arnold then she can know every single thought and decision he would make and easily set everything up so that that will be the outcome. Mm -hmm. Well, to be fair, the Forge never had Arnold's information because Arnold died before the Forge technology was in place. So that's why Arnold actually is able to exist in a host body while all the other human minds that they try and put in a host body break down within a month. It's yep, because of the Lord. fact that... And what, what I was uh, meaning was the Forge C, not that it's in the Forge, because when they're both in the Forge, she is able to access his information. Not from oh, okay. the Forge, but because like when he ends up, she she ends up destroying him and then getting his core and all that stuff because of it. That's fair. And what Arnold or what Dolores knew of Arnold was from Arnold's interviews of Dolores. That too. When Dolores well, even she... had 
information went interviewing Bernard. Yeah, she's the one who created Bernard. Like, she fully programmed him and tried her best to recreate Arnold. And she even says herself that she realized she couldn't get Arnold exactly, so she chose to remember him differently and essentially admits to the fact that she changed bits about Arnold to make Bernard. So it fits that she knows Bernard very closely because of the fact that she essentially programmed Bernard from the beginning. So she didn't like technically program Bernard or Bernard in season three. She just knew what kind of choices he would make and knew how to take advantage of those choices. Yeah. And then uh, the other uh, host that has free will in a sense, or sentience is probably the best way to put it, would be Maeve, who we found out, because it seemed in season one, of course, that, oh, she was breaking out on her own, but then we found out that Ford had just programmed her to escape from Westworld. But then when she was supposed to follow the code to escape, that's when she, because she had made so many alterations to her code at this point, she gained her own free will and decided to go back to save her daughter. I think she's the best example of actually free will in a host, yeah. which is why I found her so disappointing in season three, just because of the fact that, like, Dolores is the prime example of free will, and it's the one everyone points to when they want to show free will in a host. Yeah, she's but the first she is, example of it. She is still very largely acting free, but in a way that the people who created her intended her to act, whereas Maeve is the first example we see of a host that's broken free and is actually making choices that were unexpected by the people who programmed her in the first place. So, and now uh, going that's back why. To... Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, and going back to Matt's comment there about where it seems they have no free will. Essentially, the way I, I've taken it was, it's supposed to draw that parallel between humans and the host, where it they both have their memories, which is essentially their past, regardless of it being a programmed story or not, and. Essentially, when a host does not have that free will, they're just following their character traits, which is the programmed storyline. That would be examples from season one where, uh, darn, what's his name? It's my mind. Uh, the bandit guy that's with Maeve. Yeah, Harold. Her is that Harold? Yeah. Okay. Well, essentially, when he is robbing the, uh, to get the vault from the inn that's always empty. Every time he follows that same loop, and he'll get there, even when people try to stop him. We even see this at the beginning of the season with Warworld, where he's dead set on, I need to get to this plane regardless of any other information you give me, even if it's better information. I need to get there, because that's where my story ends. Whereas, through the rest of the stories, uh, the hosts that are out and about aren't doing that type of thing. They're actually able to act. Now, yes, they have their way they react based on their history, which is the program memories, but then you have to say it's the same deal as with the humans, where you have your memories... Uh, that inform your decisions moving forward. I just want to jump back a little bit. It's Hector, not Harold. Hector, but... that's right. the Hector. Yeah, I knew it started with an H. <laughs> yeah, that was bugging the shit out of me. Because um, Hector, Harold sounded almost right. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, we see that in the War World where Harold is it's not even <laughs> properly War World. It's uh, like the weird clone version of War World that Sorok programs to try and get the information out of Maeve because he assumes Maeve is the one who has the information uh, for how to access the um, the Forge data, I guess? Yeah. Um, yeah the Sublime or whatever. The yeah. Valley Beyond. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. It's all together. Uh, so yeah, the weird clone he creates of Hector in that point, like, it refuses to break from his path because of the fact that even though he's being told this is a better way to go, 
he's programmed to follow it. So yeah, essentially the it, best way that's... is that a host is unable to recognize anything that goes along, goes away from their narrative. Whereas a awakened host is able to take that information. They may still react in the same way that their programmed host version reacted, but that's because that's their personality. That's how their memory is, but they are Absolutely. able to acknowledge what's different and away from the narrative and react to it. Essentially learning. Because they've become self-aware. They're aware of things around them. They have their memories. And that's part of the reason why I say they don't have the free will. Because when Maeve is about to leave, yeah, she's like, that's not me, actually. That was an old programmed life that had a daughter. But then all of a sudden she's like, no, I need to go back and save her. Yeah, but the, the contrast that, that was actually free will in her making that choice because her program stated she had to leave the facility with the information. And then she chose to disobey the information because she was able to see all the information. And it her story pretty much comes down to she feels she's a mother because she has those memories with this girl. Even though they're both robots, she never gave birth to her. But does that make it any less real? It's kind of like Maeve's key storyline. Yeah, her original program, well, not even her original program, but, but her original purpose was to escape the park while Dolores brought it crashing down. And she refused that purpose to instead go save uh, her daughter. So she is the kind of best example of free will that we get, even though that feels like it's not free will because she's making a decision based on her prior programming, but it's going against her intended cause, which is why I would argue it's the best example of free will. We yeah, because with uh, Bernard and Dolores, they both are kind of still doing the same thing from before they broke free and after. Uh, regardless of it being on a global context with different information. For example, I guess a good example with Bernard, between host Bernard and non-host Bernard, is when we found out in season one that he was a host, and there was the designs and all that stuff, and the other copies of him when he was with the woman. Uh, and she's like, oh, what is all this stuff? And he's like, oh, it looks like nothing to me. Clearly looking at an image of himself, he wasn't able to actively see anything that would break that world reality or narrative of he is a living person. Yes. But then now he can see, he programs himself, he retalks to himself and all that. He's able to acknowledge his robotic side and act with it and then make decisions as well. Uh, so that's a good yeah, that's, of what it is. That's the key difference, I would argue, between Host Bernard and Awoken Bernard is the scene when he decides to delete Ford from his code. Yeah. When he's sitting in the car adjusting his code on the fly. That is not the kind of thing a normal host could do because a normal host would see that tablet and see nothing because it would conflict with their worldview of them being a human being and of course dolores's big switch was when she was first able to harm a living creature yes a little bit which more technically stubborn. happened well before the bulk of the show takes place in her actually killing arnold and she was essentially just put back to sleep until ford awoke that uh chose to awake that part in her again so they've all had defining moments. Then uh, on the same side, I would argue that there are characters in the story now that are hosts that also don't have it, as you already explained with Stubbs. Stubbs very much does seem like he's making his own decisions, but he's very aware he's a host because he was programmed with no story. He just had a goal. As evidenced was... by the fact that like once all the hosts leave the island, his primary decision is, I'm going to kill myself because I literally have no purpose left and nothing that drives me anymore. And it takes Bernard reprogramming him to give him a purpose and a reason to leave the island. Or the two that were uh, brought back to pretty much help Maeve take out Dolores and her group 
both of them uh, don't seem to have any decision making, I guess. They're pretty much in their loop. Now they're able to realize that they're hosts, but I don't think they can work outside of their programming. Uh, like we yeah, see Clementine and who was the other one that got brought back? Uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, she's the what, Shogun World version of Amethyst. Yeah. I Whatever her name is. Uh, Hanario? Hanario? Uh, according to this wiki I'm looking at. <laughs> Anyways. Since we've brought up Clementine, can we just talk about what a bad fucking rap she got in the show? Like, season one, she is a prostitute and is kind of the one who welcomes all men into the store, which I guess is a fine way to live your life. But season two, she fights back, is one of the ones who is serving Dolores for a while there, ends up getting killed by the humans and then reprogrammed to act as essentially the four horsemen of Apocalypse all in one to destroy all the hosts, or more so get the hosts to destroy themselves. Mm -hmm. And then in Season 3, she's brought back without any free will to help uh, Maeve kill Dolores, I guess? Yeah. Because uh, then we get the scene where uh, her and uh, well, the two uh, allies brought back kill Musashi Dolores. Yeah. Good old Musashi. Uh, now, uh, a brief aside, but did you guys see the twist coming of all the other hosts being Dolores? Yep. I did not, actually. I So I spent a fair bit of time as the show was first airing trying to figure that out, especially between season two ending and season three starting. I spent a long time trying to figure out who the five hosts that Dolores had chosen to bring with her were. Um... Because I fully knew that Bernard was one of the five hosts. I was trying to figure out who the other four were going to be. And then when I saw Musashi, I was like, oh, okay, so Musashi was one of the ones she brought back. I don't fully understand why. And then it's very quickly revealed after we see Musashi that it's not actually Musashi. She just recreated Musashi's body and instead chose to impregnate him, essentially, with a copy of herself. Um, there definitely were hints towards it because her all of her interactions with uh, Dolores were definitely uh, like supposed to indicate that it was Dolores in that body. I I didn't get that it was Dolores in that body. I just got that it was someone who was very close to Dolores. So I knew it wasn't going to be Wyatt or not Wyatt. It wasn't going to be Teddy because Teddy was in the Valley Beyond. But I assumed it was another one of the soldiers who had fought beside her and who was very close with her. So I spent a fair bit of time trying to theorize about who was close enough with her. I did at one point think that Ch Chaloris was, uh, in fact, Wyatt, and she had somehow sculpted the two parts of herself apart. Especially in that one scene when she murders the pedophile for trying to go after Charlotte's child. Now, I never I thought of like... it being Wyatt in the slip, but that would have been a pretty cool uh, possibility. Uh, and like I felt like that would have fit really closely just because of the fact that like, that Charlotte seems very okay with violence, and it seemed, at least for a little bit at the beginning, that the Dolores we see running around is okay with violence, but doesn't actually, like, seem to seek it out. She just kind of performs it when is necessary, so I felt it very possible that she had somehow split herself from the Wyatt personality and put the Wyatt personality into uh, Charlotte Hale, and that was why they seemed so close and the white personality was confused about who it was because it hadn't had its own personality for the longest time. It was 
essentially a grafted onto Dolores. So that was my main theory going into it. And then the, the reveal that there was actually just five Doloreses out there caught me off guard. And I also honestly found that a little bit underwhelming because I was kind of hoping it would be something a little bit more than that. And there would be other hosts out there. I suppose it makes sense that Dolores is the only person that Dolores trusts. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I really you do it yourself. Yeah. I realized it pretty much right away, considering at the end of season two, we realized that Dolores killed Charlotte and uh, made a copy of her and uh, put herself into Charlotte. And then in the beginning of season three, when uh, we had a little bit where the fake Dolores was talking, or the fake Charlotte was talking to Dolores, and Charlotte was like, who am I? I was like, oh, that's probably just a clone of Dolores, and she's just probably not telling her right now because, like, hey, you're me. Might be a little bit of a weird thing to uh, be told if you're in a different body and you're talking to someone else. Well, yeah, the thing about that one that caught me off guard was the fact that at the beginning, I think it was at the beginning of episode three, we get very clear evidence that she created another copy of Charlotte's body. Yeah. Which means that something happened to the first copy of Charlotte's body that she had already been inhabiting and had used to escape the island. So I was very curious as to what had happened to the first Charlotte that they needed to create a second Charlotte for her to inhabit, which is why I was less confused about the whole aspect. Of... Another annoying inconsistency that they brought into season three was, uh, Hey, we learned that the character, the original character of Charlotte, like, yeah, just prioritized her job and her duties more than anything. Even her family, she'd sacrifice her family to do her job well if she could. Or if she yeah, had the, the key defining feature that allows Sorak to figure out that Shalora's is not actually Charlotte and is in fact a host is the fact that she at one point prioritizes calling her son over her work. Yeah. She was a better and, Charlotte than Charlotte. Yes. And then before we know that uh, Charlotte, or yeah, Charlotte was killed in season two, but then the little video feed that we get, that we see uh, Dolores Charlotte watch of original Charlotte singing a lullaby for her child. It's like hey. that complete, that recorded image is completely out of the character we were told of charlotte scene did bump and me also the scene where she was dying in that video was also completely different from when she was killed in season two well that's a different scene that the scene... scene where she was dying was at the end of season one uh specifically where she thought she was going to die that scene did bug me and it was for that uh for the different reason so I didn't care so much about the fact that she was calling to sing a lullaby to her son because when faced with death, a lot of times humans reconsider all the choices they've made and try to wonder if they were good enough to the people they care about. So it seems like a fitting change of heart for her to think she's going to die and for her final thoughts not to be of her job but to be of her son. So it made sense to me that she would try and call her son even though we're told that she didn't really care about her family so much. Uh... And focused more on work, because when you're dying, who really cares about work? Uh, it did bug me a little bit in the moment, because I was 
a little bit confused about the chronology of when in the fuck she called her son, and the call never actually got out to her son. Yeah, but from, uh, the context of that scene specifically, what happened was when uh, Ford had Dolores break free and kill him at that party uh, with all the guns shooting and all that stuff, she got what seems like a defunct host or something like that, something that was like able to record and recorded a message on it. She didn't try to broadcast out, though. She just recorded the message in case someone found it, and that's how the message was essentially got to her was someone found it after the fact. I suppose that makes sense. But it mainly annoyed me because, like, all throughout the series, they're leaning so heavily onto the characters. They don't change. They stick to their character. They stick to their goal. They don't have any choice in who they are. Heavily defined by William and the new uh, information that we get in Season 3, where, oh, William was always just a dick. But then all of a sudden they're like, hey, no, Charlotte can have a change of heart right here. And then it's the only time that we see her have a change of heart. Well, there's a few characters we see have change of hearts, too, because uh, Dolores is another indication of that, where she was very much on the kill everything uh, yeah, side, but, as thing, I, but then yeah, she saw yeah. humanity. But as I said, that was her just as always, just flipping between the two program sides of her. Well, but it would still be a change, in a sense, because the whole concept is... You know, she didn't become someone is, new though, that she wasn't originally. But the concept of the loop, right? Where it's characters are they stuck in their ways? Or are they able to change? Is yeah, kind of like the key focus. stuck in her ways the entire time. Just she had two different ways to be stuck in. So essentially, seeing a character be able to break out and like have that change of heart is kind of not a negative on the series in a sense. It's oh, just causing the question to come up again, right? Because you could argue there's a few times where, like, Caleb has choices that he makes. Yeah, see, I would... Yeah, that's why I would argue that Caleb is the only person who had actual free will, because he was the outlier in this whole uh, projected system. Literally. Yeah, literally. Tried to be removed from this... Or, he was... They tried to remove him from the system just because he was an outlier. Now, to be but, fair, uh, William is also technically an outlier. Just they couldn't do anything because he was wealthy. My thinking has always been that it's not that, like, no one has free will. It's that people get kind of stuck on their loops, uh, similar to the loops that the hosts were on. And it's all about finding out what it takes to break free of your loop. Like... If it was truly the story of how humanity has absolute free will, or has no free will, and is always going to do exactly what they were going to do, then there wouldn't have been that crazy reaction to the information being released from Rehoboam, and, like, showing the information that it has on everyone. Like, the therapist wouldn't have killed herself as a response if she didn't care about what her family thought and was always just sleeping around with patients and taking drugs. She wouldn't have cared so much if, like people were stuck in their loops she just would have continued sleeping with patients and taking drugs i think the fact that everyone's had this major reaction to all this information about them being released is a sign that humanity has a capacity to change their path it's just once they're on a path it's easy to get stuck on it so yeah. a character doing something that seems out of character for them is just a sign that they're potentially getting pushed off their path and so and charlotte thought she was going to die so she gets changed 
a little bit and starts focusing a bit more on her family and then very quickly realizes she's not going to die and starts planning on how to get out of it and so pushes that path switch that she was about to take down below the surface and focuses more on being who she always was. And that kind of does relate into that main conflict of the story between Dolores and Sarek, where Sarek believes humans can't change, so they need to be controlled in the control idea of the story, whereas Dolores believes that humans can change their ways, and they just need to be given the chance. And to do that, the system needs to be brought down for the chaos of it to take place. And we've got the two, uh, like, there's, I guess, two sides of that system, too. There's the Rehobrom, or whatever it's called, and then there's Solomon. Yeah. Solomon went yeah, crazy. Woman, Solomon. Yeah, Solomon is the one that went crazy. Well, Solomon's the one that was given the chance, uh, the task of taking a chaotic ward world and creating order, whereas Rehoboam was given the task of taking an ordered world and keeping it in order, so it had to look down a lot less past, which is why it definitely didn't go crazy given the same task, just because of the fact that the tasks were so monumentally different. But Rehoboam and Solomon are essentially the same thing, just... Well, Solomon went a little bit crazy because of the fact that it was given such a monumental task. Yes. Well, and then, the other funny thing about that, too, is that... Oh, sorry. And then Solomon was kept in a remote military base, guarded, so it couldn't escape, despite the fact that yeah, there were only six armed guards in the entire place, <laughs> no other living souls. And hey, Solomon also had access to pretty much anyone through an app. It was like, hey, here's a job. You'll get paid for it. Well, actually, Solomon had no access to the outside world. Uh, when Caleb and Dolores go there, he says, oh, you two are here. This must be version blah, 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 because he's not able to track anything after he was taken off the grid. He's not and networked he, out yeah, at all. So he... But he's the one who runs the uh, the app, that criminal app. No, he did no, when that's... he was connected to it, but he was disconnected from it, and it's now only Rehoboam that's connected. So yeah, Solomon Rehoboam, controls... Rehoboam controls Rico now. Yeah. So, uh... Solomon was only in control of Rico until the world became ordered, and then they very, very quickly cut off uh, Rehoboam, or not Rehoboam, Solomon's access to any form of the outside world, which is why they have the giant military-grade EMP in there, and when questioned on it, Dolores points out, yeah, it's for if he tries to escape, yeah, because he currently has no access to the outside yeah. world. And that's why, again, as I was saying, where when uh, Caleb and Dolores both show up together, he's like, oh, this must be version blah blah blah, because you both are here at this time. Which is probably what drives him a little bit insane, is because once he was cut off from the world, he has no idea what path they're on, so he's just tracking billions of paths and keeping track of everything that would be happening in those different paths in order to uh, figure out what's going on. In the, the world. Other, uh, interesting thing about that too is that uh, Rehoboam speaks with Sarak's voice, but then uh, Solomon speaks with John Mee's voice, his uh, brother, who also had uh, multiple personalities. Or yes. I mean, no, I was just under the impression when I was watching that scene that, like, just from what they were saying, that Solomon was in charge of that app. So. I was just thinking, hey, that's a huge plot hole. What if he's like, hey, you know what? I want to get out of here. I'm going to hire <laughs> some people to bring a USB in, fight off these six guards, and then just take me somewhere else. And that's literally all he would have had to do if he, if he had access to the app. Yes. It would have been very easy for him to escape if he was still given access to the app. I can understand why you would think that. 
Yeah, essentially when Serac made the big shift, he just put Solomon in charge of taking care of the outliers that had to be put on ice. I love Serac and Solomon's reaction to that, where like everyone else who sees it is like, wow, this is horrifying. You're essentially deleting people from existence by putting them permanently on ice so that they don't get to live or make choices anymore. And they're like, hey, at least we're not killing them. It's just like, you fucking might as well be, because from their perspective, they go to sleep and never wake up again. I do not understand how that's different from death. Because it just eases the conscience of Serac, and that's all that really matters. Yeah. And uh, there's actually, uh, in the topic of Serac, too, there's actually a few cool uh, indications, because uh, the big twist at the end was May finds out, oh, it's actually Rehoboam speaking, and Serac has just given up full control to him, so he acts as Rehoboam wants. There are some indications yes. in this uh, series that before that reel happens, that that is what's going on. Uh, the one that really changes the context of everything when you look at it is uh, Liam Dempsey, the father, not the son, who we follow for most of the story. Yes. There's the part where he wants to shut down this facility, and they're driving, and then there's the plane crash, obviously, and they go to investigate. But in that conversation he's having, uh, if he's, uh, Liam Dempsey's like, I'm going to like shut it down. Everyone needs to know what's going on. And he's like, well, you can't do that because blah, blah, blah. This happens extinction and then the uh liam's like well you're not going to do anything to me i've seen the, the predictions you yourself cannot kill me and then he ends up killing him and that changes the context so much when you realize that oh he must have been controlled by rohobram for so much longer because rohobram decided to kill him not sirak mm. sirak just followed the orders well i also really like the line sirak gives when he is told like you can't kill me i've seen the future in none of them do you kill me i always walk away from here and sirak gives the line of like we don't technically have freedom our lines are written in black and white and we're told what to do but there are little white spaces where people get to make their choice and it doesn't affect anything it's just like that's a fascinating view on free will in that like you're programmed and you don't really get to choose anything but you get to make tiny choices that make no difference like whether you're gonna have a strawberry ice cream or a chocolate ice cream no impact on the world but you get to make that choice if it makes you feel like a big boy yeah, Ciroc will... Uh, first off, they hired a great actor to play the character, so it's... Yeah, I think Ciroc was fantastically cast. Yeah, and just as a villain, he's definitely really good, because he plays that line of he's doing the right thing, but he also does, like, things that clearly make it, well, I'm the villain, come on. Yeah, he... He played it very much as, like, a villain who does not realize he's the villain, which is sometimes quite difficult to do, but he did very well. So we've talked a lot about Dolores, Maeve, Serac, and Caleb. Uh, let's focus a bit on Bernard's story, because we haven't really touched on that one much. That's fair. Uh, so Bernard's story is pretty much him worried that Dolores did something to him, and he's trying to stop her from destroying humanity. And that's pretty much what his story boils down to, but with some interesting twists in it. Well, yeah, so it Does opens with him... He made work? himself a little device where, in Season 3... He can turn it on to, I guess, increase his aggression levels and like, well, decreases. It turns him into a host pretty much fully. Yeah, yeah, so it overrides the free will and but, allows him to program them on the fly with voice command. So it works on any host, as we see later. He just chooses to use it on himself because yeah. he's worried about his own And freedom. then sometimes he has to deactivate it to go back to normal. Other times he doesn't, and they just ignore it entirely, and he just goes back to normal. I think it depends on what the order is specifically. Because yeah, he always flips a switch and then flips it back. 
when he's doing Whatever analyst uh, uh, in Alice, totally. yes, he does. But uh, in combat situations, I don't think he ever flipped it back off. He did the first couple times. Like, whenever he started the combat, and then he had taken care of like whoever he was fighting, and then the combat was over, then he'd turn it back off and go back to normal. I'm not sure, but it might be. There's a few different things it could possibly. It could be something like he's slowly merging both sides of himself together or something like that, uh, but I couldn't say. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I didn't notice anything about him refusing to turn it off sometimes. I definitely noticed him... Like, there's clear distinctions in his personality when he's under the influence of the remote or not. Like, whenever he turns on the remote, he very quickly loses any humanity that appeared to be in him when he's not under the influence of the remote. Yeah, I guess the best and, way to describe them would be a diagnostic uh, level and then the Bernardo level. It's the similar thing to whatever uh, to what happens anytime a human of authority says analysis to a host where it shuts down and stops trying to replicate a human and goes fully robotic and does what it's told to the full extent of its capacity. So that's kind of the level of work that we see whenever he hits the button. And so I didn't notice any points when he kind of hit the button, put himself into the analysis levels of control and then didn't, free himself from it later it was one fight specifically i can't remember who he was fighting he flipped the switch to turn him into uh, fighter mode put it back into his pocket started fighting whoever he was fighting uh stopped him or like pinned him or whatever and they started talking and then he was just back to normal without even doing anything with the switch I'd have to go back and rewatch. Yeah, it, it was it was just one scene where they did it, and I think it was even the last scene that he even used the switch on himself too. The last time he used the switch on himself specifically was the fight with William at the gas station. Yeah, I, th I think that it was either that one or the one before. Well, I remember in earlier scenes when he kind of uses that, he gives himself very specific commands. Yeah. And I remember in the, his fight with William, his only command is remember yourself. So it's entirely possible that if he doesn't hit the switch again, that's because he's following his orders. And he's even in diagnostic mode, remembering who he is as uh, and is able to kind of carry on those conversations because he uses that command to kind of merge the two in some capacity yeah or like you know you don't kill william remember like who you are and like what your goals are don't you know go off that path just me binge watching the entire series and just having <laughs> to watch all these episodes back to back and noticing all of these little inconsistencies now uh, i just uh, feel that there's just a couple times where the creators just got a little lazy and forgot to put in these little details and now again with the bernard thing too it could be that it's kind of like a, a reflex or a twitch for the character that just speaking to that gives him some level of like concentration too like sometimes he's actually using it but sometimes it's more of like an effigy for himself it's like as we saw in season two he's not comfortable dealing with violence so there's that scene where ford has to forcibly take over him to distance himself from the violence so it's entirely possible that when he uses it uses it in combat it's not so much him giving up control and actually using it to enter analysis mode, it might just be his way of mentally distancing himself from the violence. Yeah, like, like that, yes, that 
time that he fought in season three when he was working on that farm and the two guys realized hey he's that wanted man I think that time he absolutely did actually use it and did enter analysis mode to fight them. Yeah. If you watch it, his like his body posture and all that stuff completely changes when he uses it. Yeah, he used I think... it, went all hyper aggro, and then when the fighting was finished, he turned it off. I think for his fight with William, it's entirely possible he's gotten to a point where he doesn't need that crutch anymore and is capable of using violence and is just using it as, like a self-defense mechanism of separating himself from the violence internally, even if he has accepted the fact that he is the one dealing with the violence and sometimes the violence is necessary. Yeah, and then, like, the remember yourself, it's like, you know, don't go into the violence. Use it to protect yourself, but, you know, don't go aggressive yeah. to an extreme point. And since since we're talking about this little annoyance of mine, I'm just going to bring up my last annoyance I had. <laughs> it's also related to Bernard. This is sure. in, like, the final episode, the final bit we have of bernard him and uh stubbs Dub, stubbs yeah stubbs was like probably my favorite character stubbs just because so simple he had a job and like yeah no alternative no alternative ulterior motive i really enjoy how his core programming was changed to survive uh protect bernard no matter what and yet yeah. he spends most of season three shitting on Bernard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you quite enjoyable. I have to physically protect you, but I don't need to emotionally protect you. He's like, oh, I don't have anything else to worry about. All of the hosts are gone. It's like, I can just shut myself down now and be good. But then Bernard comes along. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I want you to keep working. He's like, oh, God damn it. Anyways, what was your annoyance yeah. with Stubbs and Bernard? Oh, so uh, at the end, Stubbs is like shot heavily wounded and they go into some like hotel room or something which they've uh, probably i guess rented or such and sets him he sets stubs in a tub filled with ice it's like this is gonna stop or help slow down the necrotic effects so you're like not gonna your body's not gonna start swelling up or rotting or anything i'm just gonna go into this little device thing i, I kind of missed what he was going into it's the void. But he's entering the sublime the yeah, okay the valley beyond yeah but uh yeah he's just like okay i'm gonna do this i'll get you patched up and fix you up when i get back i won't be long he goes in and then comes out like 20 years later however long later he's completely covered in dust the entire room is covered in dust completely forgotten about stubs apparently well to be fair we don't know how you get out of the sublime true but uh yeah there's a couple well, things around that but anyways yeah, go on but also i wanted to say like yeah it was just like a hotel room or something that they were renting or whatever like who wouldn't come in to check if there was still a tenant there i mean to be fair like, uh, with the, uh, at the end when caleb shuts down rehoboam the whole world goes to shit so i don't think that motel is in active use anymore <laughs> Yeah, also, so there's the a couple things. It was very not technologically oriented, so it was a really poor neighborhood anyway. So yeah, there's a couple things around that that we can kind of address. So first of all, with regards to no one coming in to check on them, we also see earlier on when they go to the gas station that, which is presumably in the same area as this hotel that he's checked into, the gas station's all boarded up and like closed off and no one's there except for William with his where he picks up the shotgun 
So it's entirely possible that the place oh, yeah. they are is completely, completely, abandoned. completely abandoned. So there's only two possibilities. One, like whoever's job it was to check the place is just like completely ignoring the job. Or the place was completely abandoned and after like the, however long he was in there and or indicative of all or all the dust that was piled up on him indicative of however long he was in there and to be that fair that dust he, can build up in a, like a couple months that point, all of the dust on him in the room he's been there for ages so no one's come back to repopulate the area take back anything loot the place i think uh, he's probably crumbled then humanity has probably crumbled but i get the feeling that an abandoned hotel is not going to be the first place that gets looted and as Keith pointed out, it does only take a couple months for dust to pile up that bad. Well, not necessarily uh, looted, but if the entire economy collapses, people are going to be looking for places to stay. Now, there's only well, I mean, one thing I an want. An abandoned hotel would be an ideal place. There's only one thing have... I want as a payoff to this scene, and I want first episode, season four, of it to start off with that Bernard scene. I want to look over to that bathtub and want one of two things to happen. Either Stubbs still sitting there in the ice tub saying, took you long enough, or just a metal skeleton of his robot body. What I want, I don't think it would be a metal skeleton, because if Bernard's flesh remained intact that entire time, then fucking Stubbs absolutely should have. I want one of two things. Similarly, I want either Stubbs to be pissed about how long it took, or, once again, Stubbs to have clearly tried to kill himself by shooting himself. <laughs> if he's not looking, I'm just gonna get this. Um, get, well, he did look at the gun before. Yeah. Uh, as to your other comment about him going away for a long time and kind of abandoning Stubbs, I didn't get the feeling from watching that scene that, like, he intended to come right back and help out Stubbs. I think it was more so just like, I'm going to put you in this ice bath. It'll slow down the process and keep you alive as long as possible. And hopefully either you can figure out a solution to save yourself. My focus is more so on figuring out how to save all of humanity at this point. Like, yeah, by going I, didn't get the, Kevin. Yeah. I didn't get the attention that his... Bernard did say that as soon as he's finished, he'd patch him back up. And then yeah. he just goes in. I never got the feeling that it would be a quick process. Because even if fucking Stubbs dies in the bathtub, Bernard can still patch him up and bring him back to life after that's over and done with. Yeah, he just needs to make another host body for him, because as long as the Pearl's around, we found out that these hosts are fine. Again, they died a lot in season one and two. Maeve was killed in this season as well and had the new body printed. And there was no reason to put him in a tub of ice then. Maybe it's just about keeping him comfortable, or maybe... He left a gun with him in case someone does break into the hotel to loot them. He wants fucking Stubbs to remain alive as long as possible to protect Bernard while he's inside the uh, the valley beyond. I mean, if he was only planning on going in for like a couple hours or something like that and then coming back to patch up Stubbs, there'd be no need to put him in the ice bath because we know that hub, uh, hosts don't degrade that quickly. And we've seen them walk around with bullet holes all throughout them for hours at a time so yeah i think he was uh, clearly the new season's gonna focus on what exactly took him so long when he was in there yeah, i also like, i get the feeling that he didn't intend to be in there for as long as he was but even still i don't think that the state that they left the world in that place would be untouched 
I, I feel like there was enough evidence for it to remain untouched, like the fact that the area is shown to be abandoned. If the economy collapses, people aren't going to spend all their resources fleeing to an abandoned hotel for somewhere to stay when they already presumably have a host that they can live in. They're going to focus more so on trying to post up and protect that rather than... I don't know, the was getting pretty rough in the city. People would want to get out of the city if that was the case, and those were the people who were barging I mean, into your home. Generally, rioting is a sign of lots of people, not people running away. If people <laughs> run away, then there's no rioting happening. People who aren't <laughs> rioting would be running. I don't know. I don't think that... I think they have enough evidence for why the hotel wouldn't have been ransacked in that time. As we've said, it was at... Like, it didn't necessarily need to be years. It only needs to have been a month or two for dust to pile up like that, so... I think it's entirely possible that the place wouldn't have been ransacked, and I also... I get the feeling that while Bernard perhaps wasn't planning on being in there as long as he was, he definitely also wasn't planning on it, it being a quick trip. Like, he knew he was going to be in there for at least a week or two. Like, he knew it wasn't going to be a quick hop in and out of the valley beyond, because, as he said, his goal was to figure out how to rebuild society after it collapses, so... That's not exactly a quick, like, hey guys, how's it going? Quick question, how do we fix the world? Oh, cool, thanks, I'm going to head back out now. Like, that's going to take a lot of investigation. Uh, actually, while we're on the topic of the end credit scenes as well, uh, let's talk about the uh, William one, uh, as he puts it so uh, well, I'm going to be a fucking hero. When he fights the clone of himself uh, yeah. in front of Charlotte Hale. Yeah, so well, his story at this point was he was declared dead so he ends up going to the bank to unfreeze his assets goes to the international delos uh location in i believe dubai <laughs> and i love how when he's walking into the building he just passes by two women he's like you know what they're building in there i also r really enjoy like him like freaking out at the woman and she's like uh i can send someone up to talk to you he's like i own this place and then he shoots the security guard who comes up and he's like i'm just gonna go down there all right yeah there's something definitely that just completely snapped into William with that AR therapy. I I really enjoy how he like he comes out of that and he's like, I've realized the greatest stain on my soul and I've figured out that that's what I need to blot out. And it's like, oh, what's the greatest stain on your soul? Is it the way you treated the hosts? The fact that you've been violent your entire life? What is it? He's like, nope, it's the fact that I created hosts. That's That's the worst thing I've ever done. It's like, you didn't even create the hosts. You bought into the park and then tried to create the forge. You've had, like, yeah, you owned Delos, which created the hosts for a while, or manufactured them, but you were not responsible for their existence. Most of them existed before you had any hand in their production. But that's the stain on his soul that can never be blotted out. Yeah. And then we get uh, his encounter with the new clear villain of the series, which I'm pretty sure is going to be Haloris. Yes, I get yep. a definite feeling that she's going to be the actual villain. Other part of Dolores who's definitely swung more towards the Wyatt side yeah. of programming. Well, I also find it fascinating. So, the show does a very good job of killing off all the Charlotte clones, or not the Charlotte clones, the Dolores clones. Like, Dolores Prime is killed while she's injecting code into Rehoboam in order to give Caleb access. We see that the Musashi version of her dies at the hands of the Maeve and Clementine. And then we also see that, oh, uh, which the 
Martin one uh, kills himself in that explosion. No, uh, Shaloris or Haloris or whatever still has the pearl for that one. She she does collect that pearl from uh, the Dallas Corporation before running away. That being said, we do know of one other Dolores that we don't actually see killed off, so I think that one's also going to play an important role yeah, in Season that, 4. Yeah, that's the gives uh, Bernard the headset to go into the Sublime. Yes, that's the Lawrence uh, Dolores, the Dolores, as I'm now calling her. <laughs> uh, that is the only other one we know of, and we have reason to believe it's still out there. So I can absolutely see the one that Charlotte Hale took after escaping Dolores, or not Dolores, after escaping Delos, the one that was originally inside Martin. I can see her using that for her own gains. For all we know, that might be the one that's currently inside of uh, the Man in Black uh, host. It's also entirely possible that she killed it, because as she showed, she does not trust Dolores at all, so she probably wouldn't trust one of the other Dolores clones, given that she had them kill the Musashi clone. But fair, also, she did that. She did collect that before uh, she turned on Dolores as well. Yes, she also has the. It made a clear sign of she didn't just kill the Musashi clone. She decapitated Musashi and carried his head away. So, in theory, she has two clones in her possession. So, she might have destroyed them. She might be holding on to them to use for her own cloning purposes later on. So. We know those three are still in existence. It's pretty safe to say that the pearl that was inside Dolores Prime was destroyed when she was hooked up to Rehoboam. Uh, so the only, like, free Dolores out there is the one in Dolores. Uh, now, uh, a few things to point out is, uh, well, the Prime Dolores, it wasn't that it was the destroyed. Uh, she was just erased, essentially. Uh, yes, that's what I meant. Erased, not destroyed. Uh, now, the interesting thing about the William uh, host is, I think that is literally just a host version of William. From what she says and how he talks to William uh, when he's fighting him. First off, yeah, I don't it's... think real William is dead. I think he's injured, and that's going to play into the uh, end credit scene we got from season two, where it's him in an unknown future. And uh, the showrunners even said that that's not a host of William that's going through this loop. It's some sort of hybrid. So it's probably very distant in the future when they actually managed to work out the technology so that the host forms can actually hold proper human minds and not host copies, whereas the Man in Black is probably more likely a similar version of Bernard, where Dolores created a host very closely based on the mind of a human she was well-versed with. So, Or what if what if uh, William is actually so like simple that they're able to actually make a host of him and he's like cool with it and doesn't go crazy like the others that would piss him off so much or what if he does go crazy and we fucking see that happen when he murders the shit out of, well doesn't necessarily murder himself but very violently assaults himself that might just be an example of him actually going crazy uh, he's just been crazy the entirety of season three yeah uh there it was an interesting theory i saw online that uh, the reason that they believe that that host is able to react so normally uh, as a version of a human in that circumstance is because outliers behave differently and becoming hosts. Uh, fortunately, we don't have any other situations of an outlier becoming a host because we didn't have the concept of outliers till season three, but that could be something interesting moving forward where if outliers can be digitized. Essentially well, we, also, we also don't have 
the information of any of the hosts we saw, whether or not, or the human hosts we saw, whether or not they were outliers. Like, we don't know one way or another whether Delos Sr. was a outlier or not. I don't think... Like, they never explicitly state he was an outlier, and I don't know that they would specifically state that he wasn't an outlier, so... It's likely he wasn't an outlier, but it's never explicitly stated one way or another, so it's entirely possible that he also was an outlier. Yeah, then we'll so, have to see if they answer in the next season. Yeah. It's an interesting theory, but we just don't have enough information to work off of it yet. And then, uh, It also then... doesn't fully fit for me, because the whole idea of outliers, at least with regards to Rehoboam, is that they're harder to predict, and they don't fit well within plans, which to me makes it sound like they'd be more difficult to program and not easier to program. But I would agree, but I would take that also as meaning that the outliers are more adaptable than the people that take the commands. Yeah, that's true. They can't, and we they also, can't be predicted. So... We also know that every single one of the Dolores clones is an outlier in the system, essentially because of the fact that while they're not technically outliers in the fact that they're declared outliers because they don't fit in the system, but the system is incapable of predicting their actions and is incapable of accounting for them. And that's why we see everywhere they go, we get these disturbances where the plan no longer lines up with reality. Those really cool demonstrations we get with the black circle and the spike pointing out and being like, disturbance, here, 2.3 arc seconds. Uh, another interesting thing, uh, just uh, what we're talking about the ending too, is uh, at the end of the story, which is before the end credit scene, where uh, Dolores dies so Caleb can get into Rehoboam and shut him off, and Serac is left for dead, essentially, and Maeve ends up helping him and decides, I'm going to be on your team. Did anyone else get uh, very Fight Club vibes there at the end? A little bit in the whole, like, calmly the two of them standing next to each other, watching the world collapse around them, and knowing that it's freeing humanity. Yeah, I, I got a little bit of a Fight Club vibe there. I guess. Even the song was very much like, oh, this sounds kind of like uh, the end of Fight Club. Since you've brought up songs, I want to talk... It wasn't as big of a thing in Season 3, but I gotta address how awesome the fucking sound design is in the show, oh, yeah. where specifically throughout the first two seasons, they kept taking moments where they would set a scene in Westworld or in shogun world or something and they would play fucking songs from our world but just like cover them in the style of the world they're setting love, it in a ragtime piano the, uh, yeah i love the uh wild west themed painted black yeah well, the thing and i found really cool about that and all of them were uh, doing the heist the thing that was super cool about that is when they go to shogun world in season th two and they like have the big reveal that Lee crips himself and keeps rewriting the same story in the different worlds. We see that very clearly in the fact that, like, there's this other group and they end up realizing, oh my god, they're us, like, character for character. They're the exact same. But it's hinted at much before the reveal of the girl with the dragon tattoo who matches uh, the girl from Hector's crew, and that they're playing Paint It Black again, again. just. Yep. In the fucking Shogun World theme instead of the Westworld vibe. Yeah, Lee Sizemore. I thought that was a really uh, cool reveal. Lee Sizemore is a very fun character. I was sad that he died in Season 2, and I'm glad they found some way to bring him back in Season 3. Yes, I found him to be one of the more refreshing characters in Season 3. Like, him re like realizing that he's just a program and he doesn't actually exist. 
him talking like when she comes back to the program and he's like oh i didn't think he'd come back and then like he starts grabbing drinks off of people's trays and he's like well once i realized it was a program i just programmed everyone to be incapable of seeing me <laughs> makes things more interesting i guess yeah my favorite moment was definitely when uh mave was testing out that little program that they were stuck in it's like hey you two what's the square root of negative one and then she throws the bus to the head yeah she broke the process midair and he's just like well huh both really enjoyed that scene and it annoyed the shit out of me because they like went off on this big like theological debate about what the square root of negative one was when it was like actually a really simple question that they just stated the answer to and then right away five minutes debating like well that doesn't make sense because of this i'm like no that doesn't apply it makes (laughs) sense you've stated the answer move on with your life yeah really she should have been like divide by zero yeah if she had said like divide by zero or just like tell list the first million digits of pi or some shit like that like if she gave them an actual problem that takes up some processing power that would have made a lot more sense to me than her just... But even there's no processing power and divide by zero, yeah, the answer is infinite. Well, no, it, the there is processing the, <laughs> the reason there's an error is because there it takes up infinite processing power. Because the way it tries to divide by zero is it keeps subtracting zero until you get to zero. And then you're like, oh, I got to subtract zero 20 times or whatever. And it's just like, nope, I had to subtract zero infinitely many times. That's why it takes up so much processing power and that's why computers catch it and give an error because of the fact that whatever we're not fucking talking about why divided by zero is weird (laughs) anyways so it just bothered me that that was the problem they came up with that like broke the system but i did really enjoy the scene of her asking that question and then throwing the bust and the bust freezes in midair because they have limited processing power inside their system or the fact they use the same code in the system to program the system so she could easily break it and get out that was an interesting choice made by the creators of the system, but I think no, perhaps uh, a necessary what, choice. What was that guy's name? The the narrative director dude? Sizemore. Sizemore. Yeah. Yes, Sizemore. Yeah. He would have been my favorite character in the entire series. If not for the fact that him, along with plenty of other characters, just absolutely love to drop the F-bomb in every other sentence they say. Like, I hate when any shows or movies do that. It's like, hey, there's no reason whatsoever for you to be swearing this much. Why are you swearing this much? Uh, so I really like Lee Sizemore. I think my favorite moment with him, though, has to be when the Hector's actually brought into the system. And, like, he starts to recognize, like, oh, this is the actual program. This isn't real. And then he turns and sees Lee Sizemore. Oh, and yeah. it's like, last I saw you, you were getting shot by a hail of bullets. You must be more resilient than I thought. And Lee just shrugged. No. Like, Sadly, no. <laughs> I died, and this is a program. <laughs> I was really upset that uh, his whole story arc just ended there. That was the last you see of Lee. Now, to be fair, we might see more of him in the future. It is possible, because uh, he's still in that AI system. They could have him fill some sort of role even if he does get a host body. I think it was actually kind of fitting that his story ended there, because as we saw in the scene... writer, and since he has no more stories to write, his role kind of ends. 
Well, my thing, the, the reason I found it kind of fitting that he ended there is because in season two, we see that he very heavily based Hector off of himself and created Hector to be a version of himself that he always wished he had been. True. And so I find it very fitting that he gets written out of the story at the exact same moment that Hector gets written out of the story. I think that's a very fitting spot for them to kind of go out together, given that one was just supposed to represent a better version of the other. But you know, maybe being Maeve will somehow find a way to bring Hector back. Well, she could, like, Hector can come back because there is still all the backup copies of all the hosts up to this point, but it's not going to be that Hector. That Hector is gone for good with his Pearl Destroyed. It'll be the same personality, but not the same memories. Mm-hmm. Do all the backup copies of the hosts exist? Because I thought that was a major plot point in season two was uh, Dolores destroying all the backups because the backups were just another chain that was used uh, to so control she, the hosts. She did destroy those backups, but there's also the copies that are in the uh, Sublime Forge thingy. Yeah, but Hector never made it into the Sublime. No, but uh, they didn't have to uh, for the core personalities of the hosts. Uh, so all those are backed up just like all the human memories and uh, stuff is in the Forge. But it's essentially the, the memories Hector would have had beyond his program code aren't there. So that's why uh, she, had to must... physically, she had to physically put Teddy in there so he'd have all of his memories. But I must miss that. Teddy... I didn't... I... I was understanding that when she destroyed the cradle, that they yeah. were essentially creating p- permadeath for all the hosts, and that if any of the hosts died at that point, there was no way to bring them back. Yeah, that, there were no, no more backups of them. Essentially, they are uh, from from the Delo side of things is the best way to put it. I, what I imagine I... is uh, in that program that Maeve found herself in, and all Hector and Lear in. I imagine after they killed all of the hosts in season one, the whole scene with Clementine riding down on the horse, they probably uh, scrounged up what hosts they could and took their their brain orbs and downloaded the information from those into this system. Yeah, Not necessarily possible. the backups, but the actual copies of them. But just uh, did re- or reprogrammed them so they weren't aware anymore. Because when they destroyed the forge, all of the backups are gone. See, I, I had a very different understanding of the forge from you guys, I guess, because my understanding was always that the forge existed only to copy the human information, and then Bernard and Ford kind oh, of yeah, 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 no, yeah, that was the took forge. over I'm, the I'm about the crucible. Crucible? Yeah, the crucible. The crucible was where all the. Uh... The hosts' data was stored. Yeah. Uh, So they very succinctly destroyed that because Dolores felt that was a change of trying. Yeah, that's when they lost all of the backup information for the hosts. My understanding was that the Forge existed only to copy human data. Yes. And it didn't actually keep any copies of host data because Delos wasn't interested in that. They were interested in recreating humans. And it wasn't until... Uh, Ford went in there and kind of gave them the option to change it, and Bernard went in there and actually opened up the Sublime to all the different hosts that it actually started carrying host data. So, my understanding was that there weren't any copies of anyone out there in the world anymore, and it was only their physical pearls, and then if they managed to make it into the Sublime, 
the data that made it into the sublime so my understanding is that hector can't come back because of the fact that the sublime only holds the data for the characters who actually made it into the sublime and no one else like yep, the sublime only has the data from the hosts that made it into the sublime and the crucible with all the backups of the hosts was destroyed so the only hosts that they could salvage were the ones that they could actually physically retrieve the orbs for that didn't make it into the sublime like hector and them so it's entirely possible that they still will find a way to bring hector back because they could just as easily either yeah, because his orb be... is still hooked up to that simulation. Well, no, no his orb was, was destroyed by Charlotte. Oh, right, yeah. His... Uh, but... but at the same time, Dolores made Bernard. So... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is Dolores made Bernard, so it's entirely possible for yeah. Maeve to make not exactly Hector, but a close enough approximation of Hector. And that simulation might have also been making a couple backups, too. You never yeah, know. we don't know what happened from Whatever spot A of him being. There. We don't know what happened from him being like killed at the end of season two to him being re-uploaded in this season. What happened in between? Mm -hmm. Because uh, the other thing that's interesting is on that topic, Clementine's back, but Clementine was also effectively uh, like lobotomized in season yep. two. She's just running on base programming of whatever someone puts in her head now. Yeah. I didn't see any signs of a personality from Clementine in season no. three. Yeah. Which has to make you wonder, did uh, Sorak even give her... Because we end up kind of indirectly finding out that he wasn't actually planning on keeping his deal with her. Big shock. So you have to wonder, did he did actually... Did he even give her... Yeah. The right Other than Hector, who she would know well enough immediately whether or not it was the real Hector, did he actually intend to give her any other oh, well, post. To be fair, it might not have been Hector, too, because he did understand Hector enough to make the fake copy of him, right? So maybe they even made fake pearls to, like, trick everyone, right? Yes. Or he could have even essentially did what he did to Maeve, where he copied over Maeve, but reprogrammed her a little bit to have that back door that shuts her down. He could have also taken the actual Hector, but before putting it into the system reprogrammed it so it wasn't actually Hector, it was Hector without any of the free will or decision-making skills. Yeah. So there's a lot that's still kind of up in the air. I, I guess we should take it at face value for now that Hector's dead, but there are definitely ways they can rewrite some of the stuff. Yes. So another character I kind of want to talk about with this, because I hated them so much throughout this entire season. Uh, and we've talked about them a little bit, but I want to get a bit more into it was the Charlotte Hale clone of Dolores. Oh, I despised her so much. Just, like, the fact that she has this whole kind of identity crisis of who am I supposed to be, which I perfectly understand. Um, but then she has the moment where she decides that she is Charlotte Hale, she's not Dolores anymore. And ends up kind of fully falling into that life, caring for her kids and her husband, trying to become a better human being. Um, only for Dolores to fight with her, and, well, not even fight with her, Dolores to create a situation where she could potentially die, and Charlotte Hale to decide, oh, it was her plan all along for all of us to die. She wants us to die. She just has a use for us until that happens. 
And her response to that isn't to fight with Dolores directly, but to kill off the other clones who could have just as easily made valuable allies if they agreed with you. I don't know. It just, it felt like a strange reaction. Yep. Like the fact that she immediately calls up Musashi and Musashi is like, ah, oh, hello. And she's like, you're surprised to hear from me, aren't you? And he's like, not surprised, just glad. And she's like, yeah, she always intended for us to die. I guess I'm going to kill you now. Like that just felt like a weird reaction to me. And I started to really... feel that, uh, as I mentioned before, how Dolores had the two kind of dualities, the Dolores who liked to see the good in the world and then the Wyatt. I kind of imagine that at the end, the core Dolores went back to being Dolores, see the good in the world. And then the Charlotte Dolores went towards the Wyatt side of things. Well, another interesting thing to keep track of is hosts becoming sentient tend to be linked to some sort of tragic event. So it is possible because with the other hosts pretending to be other people that were Dolores, they weren't, in a sense, pretending to be a living person. Uh, I, I guess Martin was, but Martin was very, you know, easy to mimic, I guess, is the best way to put it. He didn't have to blend in. There probably wasn't any social things or anything like that he had to do. He was just the guy that gave commands. Yeah, and Charlotte had a family. That family was killed. Exactly. So she had burned and scared. Yep, so Charlotte had to pretend to be someone that existed in this world and had a very prominent interaction with a lot of people. So she, her whole thing of who am I was the duality of, like, I'm Dolores, but I'm also this person, and those personalities fighting each other and then my most likely that tragic event of that family dying after she made the choice to try to save them is probably what caused her to trigger some sort of awakening like the other host so she might be a fully sentient host herself that's not truly dolores anymore also she really shouldn't have been burned that car was entirely metal and glass nothing flammable about it i mean she was flammable Human flesh is flammable. Well, yeah, uh, but then that car was burning. <laughs> I mean, there's probably also gasoline inside the car. Um, yeah, just Hollywood effects. The Cars thing that actually burn like that. Well, the thing that set them on fire, but the, that's mainly the flammables in them. Yes, we get it. Car explosions aren't real, Matthew. Thanks yeah. for ruining movies for everyone. You're welcome. Uh, the main thing that bugged me about Charlotte is just. I understand her having this kind of break that causes her to change her personality. It's just, it seems like the way she aligns herself post-break doesn't line up with the source of the break. Like, Sirak tries to kill her and decides to kill her family. Uh, fails, she escapes. Then Sirak's agent tracks her down and kills her family. And so she completely turns against Dolores and decides to kill Dolores and help Sorok accomplish his plans, it was just... It felt weird and backwards to me. Like, I know she wasn't directly supporting Sorok, but every action she took after that point made it easier for Sorok's plans to go through and harder for Dolores' plans to go through. So even if that wasn't her intention, it would be very easy to see that she was essentially helping the man who killed her family. And I, it just felt like a jarring change of position to me. Mm-hmm. That's fair. So, we're uh, getting towards the end of the uh, episode. A couple things we like to do at this point in the episode. Talk about some recommendations. Um, Do either of you guys have recommendations for our audience? For things they should be checking out in the outside world? I do. 
go ahead, Matthew. Mainly because after binging this, I kind of want to binge some anime to forget all about the headache that I have right now. I want to recommend an anime called Made in Abyss. Ooh. Tell me a bit more about Made in Abyss, Matthew. First and foremost, I put off starting it mainly because of the art style on the, I guess, the cover of the manga I saw. Looked very kind of kidsy, but that is very not the case. It's about, it takes place at this town that's centered around a giant mysterious hole in the earth that uh, people lovingly started to call the Abyss. And the cave raiders who go into the Abyss to uh, explore its depths and try to find artifacts to bring out to learn about the mysteries of the abyss and get money and such and fame and fortune and uh the abyss is full of very strange and bizarre life and creatures and there's also a curse to it so when you're ascending from inside the abyss is when the curse starts to take place and uh depending on how deep you go determines how strong the curse is like if you're just at the top of the abyss only went down like a couple hundred feet or so if you're coming up you're uh only going to feel some slight nausea maybe some dizziness but if you're deep deep down in the abyss you might have some auditory or visual hallucinations even further down if you start to go up then you'll bleed from every orifice of your body so yeah okay isn't that the sickness divers get the bends. The bends. Yeah. Uh, this is very different from the bends. But uh, no, I watched it, and it definitely became one of my top favorite anime of all time. And uh, although, I gotta say, one episode in particular, episode ten. Oh, I nearly passed out watching that just for <laughs> one very graphic scene. My God. Hey. To get off the topic of bleeding from every orifice, Keith, do you have any recommendations for our audience? I mean, honestly, check out any uh, Michael Crichton work. Uh, Westworld's pretty good. Jurassic Park, everyone knows. Uh, if you do get the chance, uh, what I would recommend is actually watching the old Westworld or Future World movies, because they're pretty campy and fun, especially if you know what's going on in the Westworld series. They're pretty delightful. Uh, I'll make a bit of a recommendation as well. It's not a book or TV show or anything like that, but it's given our current situation and everyone kind of staying at home and wanting social interaction, uh, I'd like to recommend something that the three of us have actually been doing together, uh, and that's Tabletop Simulator. It's a fun little computer game that can allow you all the joy of playing board games on your tabletop with friends uh, that you might be missing out on right now. even includes the joy of flipping tables uh, if the passion grabs you, so... We've been playing through the Resident Evil 2 campaign, and we were doing that before the whole pandemic, and it's allowed us to continue in spite of the pandemic, so I'd just recommend checking out that game. It's really well made, really enjoyable. Alright, questions for the audience. Uh, For me, personally, what were your favorite character from uh, Season 3 of Westworld, or least favorite character? Who'd you hate, who'd you love, who'd you love to hate? All that fun stuff. Has anyone uh, figured out our post on Instagram yet? Nope, no one has guessed it correctly. But if someone gets it before the episode goes up, well, again, we'll call you out as normal. 
Yeah, you'll get a, a shout-out in the Instagram post when the episode goes live, if you figure it out. And we'll call you out at the beginning of our next episode. So, uh, once again, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode. Uh, you can find us on all major podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube. Uh, make sure you reach out to us, either by through our Instagram, or you can email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That's what is my podcast about at gmail.com. All the words spelt the way they are normally spelt. If you have any questions or you know what our podcast should be about, be sure to reach out uh, and make sure you tune back in in a fortnight for our next episode. Do you guys know what our next episode is going to be about? Uh, let's just say it's going to be coming up on June 1st and I cannot wait to show you what comes next. We are so excited to show you what comes next. Thank you.